You're listening to Art Happens Here, the podcast that explores the often curious and occasionally amazing art installations on, in, and around the campuses of Lansing Community College. I'm your host, Bruce Mackley. We're back with Vern Messler, structural steel fabricator, creative extraordinaire. He's something of an icon down here at Lansing Community College both instructionally and as he has affected the general beauty of, of our campus with his work. Well, Vern, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wonderful catching up with you. I've always wanted to do this, and it's great. I'd like to talk about some of the artwork that you've done. Right. Um, there are two sculptures in particular that stand out that just, again, they're gorgeous. Start with the one with, uh, it's, it's spur gears. And it's, uh, let me describe this thing. Obviously, it's all steel. A number of maybe 15 or 20 large spur gears with the teeth. They're circular. And they're welded to a larger arc, the inside of an arc. And it looks like they're rolling down. Mm-hmm. The design looks so intentional. It looks obvious to me. I mean, That's how cool it is. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, actually, it was a mistake. A mistake. <laughs> because it was too large. And when I designed the sail sculpture here down on campus, the arch was supposed to be a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. So I told the students that I was working with, I said, well, let's just set it aside and we'll think about it. And so then we finished the sail sculpture and got that done. And I got to looking at it and we had a bunch of gears and we had them from a company that's out of business down from North Lansing. And I don't know why we got them. I maybe had some idea of using them for you know a sculpture or something. Right. And so I got the students together one day and I said, okay, let's put this thing together. So I put the arc up and I put the gear, <laughs> gears started putting the gears in and then I built this base. But when they reimagined it, they got rid of the base. And Bruce has promised me that we're going to be getting putting that base back. Exactly. <laughs> that's a hill I'll die on. And uh, I had a picture of it yeah. I uh, was going to bring and I didn't I left it home. Yep. But uh, that's how it all came about was the, the gears and coming down the side of the skull. It was actually too large for the sale, so I uh-huh. set it aside and we eventually created that. It has beauty to it, yeah. an industrial beauty, and spur gears are hard to come by these days. The, spe- <laughs> the steampunk crowd would go crazy yeah. over that sculpture because the, the circular spur gears are used in artwork all over now. Um, I know they weren't always done. You mentioned the sale. I think that was the other sculpture I wanted right. to talk about. Yes, yep. uh, I did a model, made a model of it, and then uh, we had some two-by-two two tubing and uh, I built a fixture, and so I had a lot of students working. You know, the, mm-hmm. the instructor was Kathy Lindquist. She taught high school kids. They loved her. So we got together. She let her students work with me, and uh, they did a lot of the welding, a lot of the heavy structural, and I was teaching mm-hmm. them how to cut stuff and do the, do the work. They um, did a lot of that, the welding, but the sale, we made, uh, it was how they did a fixture and fit it up, got it out there. It's cool. It's beautiful. And through your 46 years, that's 46 years people here <laughs> teaching, um, it's vast and it's deep. And I, I try to ask faculty when they're down here, what's your favorite thing about teaching? Do you have a single thing that's just head and shoulders above everything else? I can't imagine the thousands of people you've influenced. Yeah, it's it's an interesting experience. I, you know, I never thought about teaching, um, no idea about doing it. it. And it's an interesting 
how I came about teaching at Lansing Community College. At that time, I was working on the day shift at Douglas Steel. I had a fellow working for me that took welding down here at Lansing Community College. Mm -hmm. And he said, Vern, you could go down there and teach welding. And I, well, I said, no, not really. <laughs> and so I decided, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And the problem was, if you're a f salary personnel on a shop, I don't care what shop it is, you don't take part-time jobs. No. And the plant manager actually fired two guys because they had part-time jobs. Part-time jobs in addition to, yeah, like, to after that, hours or, yes, or during? Your salary, you were devoted to that company. That's what you, you're not oh, supposed yeah. to be doing. And so I didn't really think I was going to get this job, so I walked in the plant manager. He was, a, he was an interesting fellow, yeah. uh, hard, bit of a hard guy, but real nice. And I asked, told him, I said, you know, I'd like to teach Lansing Community College. I actually got his letter of recommendation here about recently. That. As I was shocked. How about that? As I walked out. I, you know, I had no intention. If he just said, Vern, I don't want you doing this, I, I would have walked back in the shop and he, didn't even think about it. Yeah, his but head is in the right place. he changed my life. He changed my life. And he was always proud of the fact that he got a welding instructor at Lansing Community College well, because he felt, he felt he was upset with Lansing Community College because they had a bread delivery man mm -hmm. and he didn't feel he was appropriate for teaching welding so how about that yeah so he was a well we may not okay with you um so your your favorite thing would be at influence maybe i know that there's in working with students there's this um i call it pioneer enthusiasm mm -hmm. they just you know they just sponges and if they're into it they're really into it I, it's it's interesting um I've been through a whole lot of different students. And like you say, there's students that will work three armpit jobs to get an education. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that time and again where, mm -hmm. you know, they really work and, that, and they really take it in. They take everything in. Mm -hmm. And then, um, of course, and then you get the other end. But most of the students I've worked with are, especially in the welding, and they got... Lansing Community College right now down the West Campus got some of the best welding instructors mm -hmm. that I've seen. Really? And they're all devoted to, you know, the skill. Skill. You know, the, the, the skill of welding. Yeah. It's hard to say. I, it's, just <laughs> it's okay. I don't want to pin you down. And I can't, we can't talk about this without mentioning Lincoln Electric. Lincoln uh, Electric. Yeah. Lincoln Electric. Uh, they, <laughs> they donate the equipment. Am yep. I right? Yep. Yeah. Vast welding. We have uh, welding stimulators. I mean, this... This facility is um, astounding. It's jaw-dropping. Well, the um, Lincoln Electric, from my understanding, we don't own that equipment. That's Lincoln equipment. Mm -hmm. and so they bring it in every six or eight months, and they yeah. swap it out with new equipment. That's great. And actually, as I understand it, all that welding equipment and that, that those students are using is already sold. Really? As soon as that time comes up, the lab techs start packing it up, and, and then so they, they flip it, it and the other stuff. So. You know, it's a rare company that, that will seed their industry that yep. way in such a forward, positive way. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. And there's something, I don't know you really well. We've only talked a few times. I heard this thing, I might have read it, quarterbacks. And I don't know much about sports. I'm an art guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's this quality with quarterbacks that it is like the quality that they look for. And it's not necessarily athletic ability. It's optimism. Yeah. yeah. It's we're alive until the very last second and being able to be a leader. 
you strike me that way. Mm. You seem like you're very, we can do this kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and your wife is over there nodding. Yes, I can see her over here hey, oh, for sure. Dog. And that is, sir, that is contagious. I mean, students get that and they pick it up. Well, that's interesting. That's a, yeah, okay, I, I can buy that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. No, having somebody to, to believe in what you're doing because you're coming out of childhood you're used to being disregarded, <laughs> you know, you're used to being, you know, don't talk, listen, this yeah. type of thing. And, and stepping into that, that realm where you have somebody like you who's done that's all a, this crazy work. That's interesting because, you know, I look on those 10 years, I restored those five historic riveted trust bridges. And I asked myself, how did I think I could do that? What yeah. made me think I could take a 180 foot, 1880 bridge i don't know how many 40 ton yeah and restore it and build the equipment and train the crew to you know to how, restore it. I, so you got to answer the question then i just do you, do you just, know how did you how did you think you could do it optimism <laughs> right and, and, and i did it I, yeah I what did, could go that wrong that's one that's the fifth one i did and yeah now do these bridges that you do and we're going back into bridges because it's amazing do these bridges go back into service Oh, wow. That's, that's be about four sessions. <laughs> I'm I, sure. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a simple answer. Um, my wife will recognize that I, the reason I hesitate is because of a bridge that we just went across freedom bridge, they call it in mm -hmm. Indiana, but mm -hmm. that's enough. No, but they don't go into, um, a lot of them don't go into traffic, you know, regular traffic. Mm -hmm. They try to, um, I think there's more of a effort to, take the bridge off a major highway yeah. or a major road and put it in a park. Okay. I think there's more emphasis on that today. <laughs> At one time, there might have been a situation where, okay, uh, we want to restore this bridge, we'll keep it. There's one in Ann Arbor mm -hmm. that they did, and it's in traffic. The Cut River Bridge, they did some replication riveted parts on that, mm -hmm. but that's a that's a heavy duty bridge. It's well, not, you know. I imagine you'd be careful grandfathering these in because of codes of changes. Yes. Well, loads of changes. The, right. the traffic has changed. This you know, quite the a bridges. Bit. The, yeah. This. So as I'm thinking, you know, you got to be careful because the Mackinac Bridge has five million rivets in it. Five it was built in the 1950s. And some people might call that a historic bridge. Well, that that bridge is never going to fail. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the bridges that I restored are little county bridges. The last one I did came from Portland, Michigan, south of Portland on okay. the Charlotte Highway. And um, they expanded. They need to be the bridge needs to be wider, and mm -hmm. so there's a lot of code issues. Mm -hmm. And those types of bridges, you see a lot of them disappear. And there's more of an effort to get them out and put in them apart. Okay. Yeah. Well, the Big Mac is, um, I actually worked with someone long ago who her husband was in charge of the bridge. And something that fascinates me is, um, makes perfect sense. The thing's five miles long. They're always painting it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they paint it and they start at one end. And when they finish, they go back to the other end and they start painting it over again. Uh, I've been in contact with people around the country and it just so happened like, uh, contact of uh, the painter on the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, he just wrote a book. Yeah. He wrote a book about his experience as a painter. So I've been in contact with him. I that read was one of the book. largest public work, yeah. works projects in the country's and history. That's what he did. He would yeah. you know, start one end and then 
five years later, started a guitar all over again. The red was pretty daring, too, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> and those footings, I mean, yeah. that thing is huge. Oh, man, it's man. Yeah. So I had, um, so the, yeah, so it's an amazing bridge. And uh, the Mackinac Bridge is, uh, it's just, and the George Washington Bridge, my wife and I went there mm-hmm. this uh, summer, mm-hmm. and it was just all. I mean, I knew about the George Washington Bridge. I've got a 1930 uh, book on uh, an engineer wrote about the fabrication of it. And, really? And it was just such all experience of walking on this huge mammoth bridge. And all I that. can't imagine that you could prefabricate anything or pre-rivet anything in the shop, that you'd have to just build it, Right. Well, it's all it's all riveted, you know. All the massive parts are riveted and then shipped out in the okay. field. Okay, so the, okay, so you know, so yeah, oh yeah, that's it's then they that's where ninety five percent of the rivets are driven in a shop. I see. And then actually, rivets that's driven in a field are are less value than a rivet driven in a shop. I bet because of the equipment, it's a different type of equipment. It stands so. to perfect reason, and I imagine there are certain um, inspection grades. These things have to go through, and I'll just touch on this a little bit, uh, military applications, you know, these old field artillery. I mean, is there any experience that you've had with that, with uh, the government, anything like that? No, once in a while I'll get somebody contact me about they have a cannon or they have a gun or they have a military, you know. Um, I don't really get into it too much. Sometimes uh-huh. people call me up and ask me about how they can restore it or something, but I don't get too much into that. Yeah, you're busy with bridges. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, if we go into art, you know, I'd, one of these days I'd love to be able to do a riveted sculpture. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, that's why my, ne- my next question yeah. was: What would you like to be doing? Is there yep. a project that's on your list that you want to get around to? Well, two of them actually, mm-hmm. and uh, Doctor Robinson's a big supporter of it, along with the staff at Lansing West Campus. We have a bridge, a 1908 bridge. I have available that. Uh, we're working on coming up with them to restore that and put it on West Campus. It's mm-hmm. a 1908. It's not a huge bridge, and I have an opportunity, possible an opportunity through MDOT, we're getting three more. Really? So uh, we're it's, we're on a beginning stages. Uh, it's you know we're still trying to work out the uh, what do we need to do to be involved in it as an educational experience. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of work yet to be at, but I think there's a lot of support in getting that. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with Scott Pohl, lead instructor. He's very excited about being part, because he's a retired iron worker. All right. And he was very- Lives uh, and breathes it. Chomping at the bit to restore this thing. Okay. It was students. So um, that is something I'm working on. The other thing, uh, as I said earlier, one of the things I really enjoy doing is working with an artist with an idea that they want to convert to steel. I mm-hmm. love to do that. It's mm-hmm. just like what I got here. I fellow Lee Cronenberg, he's yeah. a student. He still comes down to creative welding or runs. That's, he's mm-hmm. probably 1980s there. Sure. And uh, one thing I always liked about Lee, always watching him, as you see him sitting there at that seat, mm-hmm. I would sit there and watch this fellow start welding and working on his idea, and I could tell the minute he was gone. Yeah, in the zone. I wished I could do that. Yeah. I've never been able to do it, but I could sit there, yeah. and I could tell anybody, and I said, watch it, and you could see it happen. And uh, I had a conversation with Jim Cunningham. 
about getting in the zone creatively. Many creatives have tried to be able to turn it off and on, and I don't think you can do it. <laughs> it just it hits, and you're caught, and you're caught up in it. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, it's having yeah. that, and so the thing that I wished I, I always wanted to do, I wished I could get put something together where, let's say, I had five artists around the country. Five artists was two to four thousand dollars. I say, okay, mm-hmm. you come with your idea. We got the staff. And we'll work with you on making your sculpture. Oh my God, that would be so cool. And so, anyways, I that's that would some, be so cool. Uh, you could you could get underwriting. I mean, from Friedland, I know they're inv- inv- involved with Scrapfest, maybe or some other large entity. Douglas, Alro. I mean, I don't know. I said, that's hard to do. So let's say an individual artist. Let's say let's say limits to five, maybe ten. Okay. And say, okay, you have to have your funding. You, mm-hmm. you come here, Lansing Community College, let's say two to four thousand dollars. And you got your four thousand dollars, and we'll we'll give you the space. Uh, we'll be able to order your steel, but you have to have your design. We're not going to do your design. You show us what you want to do, and we're going to determine whether it has it's to be feasible. Vetted. Has to be vetted. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's feasible. If it is, we'll get your material together and we'll help you fabricate it and weld it. Wow, that they, would be... they, they should come up with their funding. Yeah, we, we, you know, I think I'd be in line for that. I, th- I heard somewhere that Detroit had a, they called it a sandbox, and it was a, like an industrial building full of lathes and drill presses and all these tools. And you could go in if you had an idea and you had to fabricate oh. something. You could go, and I'm sure you had to sign a contract saying yeah. if I lose a thumb that it's not yeah, on the company. Right. But you could basically go in and hands on with this stuff. I will often wish that this area had something like that. They, there is a company called 3M. I think it's 3M, south of Grand Rapids. It's a machine shop, and they have a section for sculptures, yeah. and they have a yard full of sculptures out there. Yeah. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that I did with creative welding is, mm-hmm. you know, you bring your idea, and I'll help you convert it to steel. I could see where um, our previous president, Dr. Knight, would have just, ran with that ball because he would engage people on that level and mm-hmm. get them excited and uh, full bore forward. Yes. You and know, I, I don't know how to go about doing it. And I, at this point, my, I really would have to have staff help because uh, my goal now is to, I'm working on a book, wrote a lot of articles. Mm-hmm. My wife works, as, edits all my stuff, does beautiful editing. Mm-hmm. So my goal is that, and then work on the different projects, you know, research projects, you might say. I do down right. on campus, yeah. on, uh, riveting and welded sculptures, I mean, welds. and. Is there anything, um, I hope I phrase this the right way, given the depth at which you work with this material that is, quite honestly, the backbone of our country, I mean, for a long time. Steel, right. Is there anything that you're concerned with moving forward is oh, there wow. any, what a question any items of concern with regard to materials with safety i know material costs have gone up and has that affected i mean let's say there's a project and the material costs have doubled because steel i know wood's out insanely crazy would that affect the design in a negative way would people well that's, scrimp, a, good que- that's scrimp? a good question that's a great question yeah. i don't does the material cost affect what you're trying to accomplish? That's a good question. At the design I, level. Design. Um, I tell you the truth. I don't think so. Good. Because 
if you are going to build something, you know, mm-hmm. steel fabricate, you're going to fabricate something, and if you can't afford to buy the material mm-hmm. to do it, I mean, you can't change if a structure needs a quarter inch plate. Mm-hmm. You can't design it. Is because of material cost down to eighth inch, that's not going to happen. Sure, it's okay. going to have to it's, because there's a responsibility. Yeah, it's not. It's not going to happen. Yeah, there is, a, You talk about material, mm-hmm. though, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I write a lot about in my last newsletter to talk about uh, wrought iron. Wrought iron is a famous material metal that they don't make anymore. It's a great material. It has some characteristics. It started 1880, 1880s, in the last. It was produced, the last company produced a company called Bayer in 1960. Wow. Uh, 1960. So it was, uh, it was used in ships and buildings, and, but didn't have the strength of steel. And it's got some really great characteristics. And what I'm trying to do now is uh, get people interested in creating a, building a, what they refer to as a puddling furnace that you can actually make some wrought iron. Really? But anyway, that's another game. But, uh, but that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I just about, look at, I mentioned the bridges in Portland, and anybody that's familiar with looking at riveted things, I mean, there's a rivet like literally every three inches on this massive image, the millions. You always think, why do they need so many rivets? They can possibly, they just overdid it. Well, they probably did not overdo it. No, 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 no. Yeah, because it's serious business. No, no, they didn't, no. Um, I don't think the engineers took in the, at that time as they're designing the structure, you know, gee, this takes too many rivets. Mm -hmm. They had the equipment to do it. Yeah. So they had this massive rivet equipment that go, you know, if you're talking about that that beam, guy just said, if you go on, YouTube and you put in a, you know, uh, building the Empire State Building, you'll mm-hmm. come up with films mm-hmm. and you'll come out in a shop where these guys are using these huge riveting machines right. to rivet these huge rivets you're talking about. Yeah. They just go right on. That's another thing, though. I saw this video. They were trying to take down this building in some city and they had this, this excavator or this crane with a wrecking ball and they couldn't knock it down. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't knock it down because it was built too well. Right. It was li- it was these riveted beams. They were just chipping away. It right. probably took months to bring this thing down. They had to cut it. Yeah. You know, in the middle of a city. And I gotta wonder. It makes me think about the temporariness or the disposability of certain things today. They look at the way houses are built. Some houses, walking up a stair and you, it bounces and the windows are cheap. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. In, in looking at that, you wonder if they do this if that translates to structural engineering. Well, Nan brought up a, she wants, there's a bridge that's been restored in Illinois. It's a riveted bridge, a small one, riveted mm-hmm. bridge. Yeah. And uh, she was uh, watching the, the introduction, they were doing a piece about the bridge, and they talking about a new bridge. And they said that, you know, that new bridge is going to be replaced in 50 years, but this one's going to still be in yeah, there it is. Them. Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It's that's yeah. It's very compelling. I mean, to mm-hmm. to work in an era where what you did was meant to endure. Yes. You know yes. these things with lifespans and so yeah. on. Yeah. Um, well, we gotta sadly we gotta wrap it up again, okay. uh, sir. But is there anything you want to add? Is there anything in your future that you'd like to share with us? <laughs> I want to be able to keep working with uh, the staff at West Campus and uh, mm-hmm. work with uh, students and 
I'm still looking forward to hopefully that we can come up with a plan to restore this 1908 bridge, mm -hmm. put it on West Campus. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still in the works, and so that's what I'm at this point I'd like to see that. Yeah, that's very worthwhile. Uh, well, you're you're highly highly regarded here and everywhere. You know, you're um, sort of legendary around here with <laughs> with the footprint, the impact, and the scope of influence that you've had over the thousands of people that went through the program. Vern Messler, uh, structural steel fabricator and LCC alumni, or I'm sorry, um, <laughs> still <employed>. teaching instructor <laughs> extraordinaire. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. And um, yeah, I look forward to working with you in the future. Great. I look forward to doing something. Great. Thank you, sir. You bet. Edgar Degas once said, art is not what you see, but what you make others see. If you want to check out what I've been talking about, just visit this episode at lccconnect.org. Art Happens Here is a production of LCC Connect. Thanks for lending us your imagination. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that help to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to Dart Auditorium. Lansing Community College presents My Emperor's New Clothes by Larry Shu. This musical play for children of all ages is adapted from the story by Hans Christian Andersen. Colorful, brightly comic, and a truly delightful treat. This lively theater piece is filled with funny lines, hummable songs, and fast-paced action. Performances April 5th through the 13th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash showinfo. Sportsmanship has never been more important between the lines in athletics and outside those lines in our communities. To listen, to respect, to understand, to practice common decency, to have competition without contentiousness. Sportsmanlike qualities are essential components of life itself. Let's all work together to not only be good sports, but good people. A message from the Michigan High School Athletic Association promoting the value and values of educational athletics. The Job Training Center at Lansing Community College provides two-month job training opportunities that are free to eligible participants. Training courses range from information technology to administrative assisting. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Melissa Ford-Locken. Rosalie Pachowski. Susan, Seraph, and Jess. Editors for the Washington Square Review. Washington Square On Air showcases the poetry and fiction of the latest edition of LCC's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, read by the poets, authors, and editors themselves. 
Expect the unexpected. As our contributors express experience and fantasy with humor, imagination, poetic license, irony, and passion. If you love language at its most original, please join us in our audio town square to celebrate a community of writers spanning from around the world to Lansing. Hey there, this is Melissa Ford Luckin, editor for the Washington Square Review. But today I'm here as a faculty person. I'm here with the student, Tay Galande, who is currently in my composition class. Thanks for joining us today, Tay. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about how you got here to LCC to be in my classroom. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, I can do that. Um, In 2019, I moved to the U.S. from a country in Southern Africa called Zambia. Uh, And then I moved to Indianapolis. That's where I was at first with my mom. But then when my mom went off to work in California, I moved to Michigan where my sisters were. And then I went to Okemos High School and I graduated there. And then after I had applied in my senior year, I had applied to um, Michigan State University. And I had gotten and I started programs there. But then um, as the semester was approaching, I realized that The money just wasn't adding up and it probably wasn't going to work out. And my mom and my sisters were suggesting I take a gap year. But then I felt like LCC would be a good opportunity to learn and to grow. And I thought that that's where I should start. Well, we're happy to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm curious about that first big move. Can you tell us what what was that like? Um... (laughs) Watching movies, I mean, I would say that that's for everyone. So um, watching movies, Disney movies, American movies all my life, I had expected high school to be like the movies when I came. So that was definitely hard. Um, I was in boarding school in Zambia. Um, That was my secondary education. So that was ninth grade. And I had gone to a Catholic boarding school because it had like academic acclaim. So, I mean, people hear that and they think... (laughs) You know, that sounds a little crazy, but yes, it was a Catholic, an old girls Catholic boarding school and it was good. And then my mom said that we're going to move. Um, I was definitely very excited for the change and I thought it was going to be exciting. And when I came, it was exciting, but it was definitely it had its challenges uh, because I expected to just like to get accustomed and just used to the place immediately because I had to wait like maybe I think it was five months before I was able to come here and I had stayed away from school. So there was, that, there was so much anticipation around it. And then when I did come, I learned that, you know, it takes time to get uh, used to a place and to adjust to a place. So it was great, but it was also a challenge. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about what your expectations were. What did you see in the movies that you thought you were going to <laughs> walk into? Yeah, I just, I thought, I guess it was more of the community for me. Being in an old girls Catholic boarding school, everyone, <laughs> like everyone was just like relying on each other. You're around these people every day. You sleep in the same dorms. You go through the same routines. You're in the same classes here. That was actually a surprise to me because here you have different classes and you move around. But when I was um, at my school, you would stay in the same class with the same people every day from start to finish like the start of the day to the end of the day so there was just there was that deep community and just accustomedness to the people around you but then here it's like you see somebody once maybe and then 
you might not see them again. The school is way bigger and the place is definitely, there's a, I feel like there's a bit of an individualistic culture here. So it was definitely, it was a hard, hard thing because in the movies, I feel like there was an expectation of you're going to have these best friends. You're going to be, there isn't much schoolwork. You're just like going around having fun, but it, it definitely wasn't that. Right. There's yeah. always in the movies, there's always the scene by the locker. Yeah. In the cafeteria <laughs> and there's, you know, seven or nine people that are all sitting around together. Yeah. And, and I think the cliques as well, like mm-hmm. they were the popular kids and all of that. And that made it easy to kind of, it seemed like it was going to be easy to navigate high school. But then when you actually get in, I mean, that isn't great. The cliques, of course, but it did seem like it was more organized. But when you get there um it was definitely there isn't like a centralized system there's just like people everywhere so yeah I feel like that definitely also made it um pretty hard to navigate because there wasn't no one group that you were trying to get into or those no which I don't think would have been great but it definitely yeah would have been something yeah it would have been probably easier to navigate because you know exactly what you're getting but it's just that yeah constant shuffle yeah yeah um, talk a little bit about what the academics were like. Uh, the academics, I would say it was kind of easier um, here. Well, I wouldn't say easier, but in Zambia, we had to get, we had to learn 12 subjects at the same time. You didn't get to pick what you wanted to learn, except from there were three electives. There was French, home economics, and agriculture. And I had chosen agriculture, and I enjoyed that. But then when I came here, I did have more option in what I wanted to do. Uh, I took six classes back in Zambia. I had to take 12. And the way they did it there, it was very rigid in the way the structure was. And uh, we needed to, like, when we're taking notes, it was a requirement to write down everything the teacher is saying, and they would, like, check your notes and make sure that you've done that. If not, you would get, like, a punishment the system was, there's corporal punishments and stuff. So it was definitely very different. Teachers were not as encouraging as they are here. Um, yeah, it was a more rigid system. And then here, I feel like you have more room to like pick what you want and actually like enjoy. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy. I did learn a lot in Zambia and I enjoyed um, the community I had. But it was definitely, it's it's more open here and what you want to, like, pursue. Well, since I'm a writing instructor, I'm curious about <laughs> the writing instruction that you got oh, there yeah. and how that carried over here. Um, there, the writing structure was learning how to write. We didn't really get into, like, creative writing. It was more so just, like, instruction and uh, parts of speech and... I feel like that helped, actually. It wasn't, yeah, there wasn't any creative writing. Though, being in boarding school, a lot of us took to writing stories. So that was something that, that was the first place I actually started, like, exploring writing. Um, writing stories and writing my own stuff. Um, but then with the academic system in place, it was just, like, learning composition and learning parts of speech and structure and when I came here, it was definitely very different. I pursued more, I was given more uh, opportunity to get into creative writing. And usually those in high school, there was rarely a chance for me to like actually learn parts of speech and structure. So I feel like that kind of helped me like still maintain some um, refinement in my writing, even though I wasn't being taught that a lot here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
when you were working on essays here compared to um, before in the boarding school, when we've talked a lot in composition class about like entering the conversation Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing discourse analysis and reading what other people write and figuring out what they're saying and then adding in your new contribution. Did you do similar things before? No, we did not. (laughs) You're just receiving more so um, other people's conversations and you never, we never really practice entering a conversation. Uh, We just more so just did structural stuff. Yeah. With the writing. So when you wrote essays, was it more of a compilation of information that you gathered? To be honest, I don't remember writing an essay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. So paragraphs then. Yeah, it was paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was a compilation of what other people were saying. And it was usually like trying to find the error or um, editing. It was just it was more so that than like writing what we wanted to write. Mm -hmm. I don't remember ever writing like anything that had to do with my thoughts or yeah, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. The writing that you did, was it exclusively in certain classes or was there writing like in history classes or philosophy and religion, stuff like that? Uh, um, there was writing in everything, really, because like I said, we were required to write notes, but then that was just more so like, that was more so formal um, writing and it was it was something that was given to us. Like we, we wouldn't just write off the top of our heads, we would write what they're telling us to write. But then more, um, where we had more liberty in how we wrote, uh, it was in my English class. I think it was called composition. I think it was called composition, yes. Okay. Part of the reason why I'm asking is over the years I've had students in class before and they've come from schooling systems that don't use writing as a creative tool. Yeah. And so sometimes when I say, well, what's your analysis? You know, what's, what are you going to add to the contribution? You know, how are you going to contribute to the conversation? They have a look on their face. Like they don't really like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why yeah. would I want to do that? And so I think that that can be something that's really unique um, for some people when they get to college here. Yeah. I mean, um, in your class, that's the first time I've heard about like discourse analysis and that so that is like we definitely didn't do that back in Zambia yeah Um, well you can look forward to doing more (laughs) yeah (laughs) when you were doing the creative writing that you were um on your own talk a little bit about what that was like um in boarding school Mm -hmm. we didn't have like the um the library there there weren't many like great books so in our classes I don't know about other classes. There were like three um, ninth grade classes and then it went all the way up to 12th grade. So um, I'm speaking more so what happened in my class. But then everyone used to like write um, stories. We started having competitions, writing competitions because we didn't really it it was boring. We didn't have TV. We didn't have phones. We weren't allowed to like leave the school premises. So there really wasn't much to do. And we just had to like use our own creativity and make our own um, entertainment. And I really enjoyed it. I feel like being um, being distant from the world um, because you weren't even allowed to like step out of the gates. It was a Um, The nuns were very strict about that. And we didn't have any technology. We didn't have um, we didn't have TV. So really, (laughs) it was just up to us to like uh, find that entertainment. And getting to write was definitely like an outlet for that, you know, for creating something interesting. And I feel like that's when I really did um, fall in love with writing. It was fun to create your own world. And yeah, 
just make your own fun. And was that just the students reading each other's? Yeah. So the nuns weren't involved with that? No, they were not. Were they okay with it? Did they uh, know about it? Um, to be honest, I don't think they would care. And it wasn't something they did know about, but it wasn't like we were writing anything that was inappropriate or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah. So it was, I don't think they would have cared, but yeah, they weren't around all the time. Um, so they definitely didn't, yeah, they definitely didn't know about that. That's cool. Yeah. So talk a little bit about, you, you went to two high schools. Yes. Um, how were they com- when you compare them to each other? For Southport in Indianapolis, I went there in my second semester of ninth grade. Oh, and I started, I'm sorry, I started um, the boarding school in eighth grade. That's when secondary school starts in Zambia. And then I did the first, um, the first term of ninth grade, the three terms. So when I came here, I just continued into the um, second term of ninth grade in Southport. And my English class that I was taking then was English 9, and we're doing the Odyssey, reading the Odyssey. And I actually um, really enjoyed that for some reason. Maybe it was because I used to do a lot of story writing. So reading Odysseus and the gods and all of that, it was very interesting. And I actually really loved that class. Um, The school was... The school, I started to get comfortable with it. That was right before the pandemic hit. I actually didn't even get to finish in person. Um... Because as I, I felt like as I was starting to like get used to people and get used to the place, that's when the pandemic hit and it was just like you have to stay at home. And that was definitely a challenge. But I did like the school and it was huge. And I enjoyed that. It was like three stories um, and it was like it was extremely big. The gym was big and I enjoyed that. That was the f- first time I took gym class um, in a school and it was also the last time. And then <laughs> gym I, class is one of those things that many people look back on with yeah. unfond memories. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that yours was good. Yeah, I liked it because the gym was really big and they had like stairs at the top. And I enjoyed walking around there. It was like a small strip of stairs and I enjoyed that. Yeah. And then when I moved to um, Okemos High School, I did my first um, year online. And that was in 10th grade um, because of the pandemic. And with that class, I honestly can't remember much, but yeah, I, I can't remember much. I think it was it was a right. We didn't really do any formal writing and we lent more, I would say, semi-technical stuff. I can't really remember everything. Yeah. And then with my um, 11th grade is when I took a writing class. It was reading, writing and reflecting. And I really enjoyed that class as well. Um, I feel like I that's when I kind of dove into writing poems and um, creative writing. And that was the same for uh, my 12th grade where I took contemporary literature and creative writing. So I feel like my high school experience has been mostly, I would say, like, I would say mostly and all except from um, ninth grade in Zambia, the first term. But that one, I don't know if it really counts because <laughs> I can't really remember much. But it has been pretty much creative writing. Yeah, I don't think I wrote one formal essay in high school. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did the working with the technology during COVID and the learning, how did that fit? Because it sounds like you didn't grow up with a lot of technology. Yeah, we. I did not. <laughs> uh, my first phone was here. Um, so and like. Back in high school, I mean, back in Zambia, in um, 
primary school and part of secondary school we didn't use computers back in the boarding school we did not use computers and we used to go to the computer lab we actually had computer science and we'd go to the computer lab to work on spreadsheets once a week <laughs> so um the technology part wasn't i feel like that wasn't hard for me um it was just it was definitely the isolation that was hard because coming into a new country and you're expecting to like see new things meet new people have experiences and kind of get um accustomed to the place around you um and when i moved to michigan it was during quarantine so um because i moved from southport during covid so i didn't even get to like go outside and see michigan so it was definitely hard learning because it felt like i didn't even know what was going on around me but i i powered through it was hard it was a challenge but i powered through what was the hardest part the hardest part was the silence um growing up in zambia it's pretty loud like and i also lived with um a lot of my family back in zambia who could be like maybe nine in the house but then um in when i moved to michigan it was just the three of us my little brother and my older sister um so that was like it was hard just to be in the house silence and i used to go outside every night and all the time really in zambia no one would stay in the house so having to stay in the house and just you don't see the sun you don't see the stars at night it was it was a challenge just that isolation i'd say well you're isolated from people but you're also isolated from nature yeah so when you were growing up was nature a big part it was a big part i don't remember like a day when you'd stay in the house like the whole day that wasn't a thing you'd go outside like during the day and even at night i used to go especially before i moved here um i would go outside at night and watch the stars because i would say there isn't a lot of light pollution so when you like look uh, you look up there's a lot of stars so that was something i used to enjoy doing but then when i um during covid i just i couldn't do that yeah how did i know that you're um you've let me know that you're going into computer science yeah so i'm wondering how did you how did you come to have that interest given that you didn't really grow <laughs> up with it um yeah um funny thing is even though i didn't grow up around computers since like primary school i'd say even back as as back as third grade uh we used to have computer science classes and we'd learn parts of the computer and what a computer is it wasn't very um practical it was more technical and just notes about that but i feel like that's kind of where the interest started and when i came here since 10th grade i had started taking computer science classes and i took some i took two ap computer science classes and i really enjoyed those so i honestly didn't know what i wanted to study but then i started thinking and i was like you know maybe computer science could be something i could take cuz i like that it teaches you um a way a method of applying your own ideas there's an set thing that you have to do in computer science it's just more of like innovation and creating whatever problem solving and thinking and creating what you think um is going to you know what you think is something worth creating something that either you want to help people or make money that's that's really your choice but i feel like it definitely gives you like an outlet with code on creating things that you feel like are worth creating yeah that sounds really beautiful <laughs> thank you cuz you can take it in all the d- different directions yeah. i'd never thought of it that way um you belong to a club here at school right yeah talk a little bit about that I actually started the club with um uh, my professor professor Hindo um she's my 
CPSC 230 teacher uh, back in at Okimas High School. I didn't get to like join a lot of clubs. Actually, I didn't. I only joined one club and it was the coding club and that was in 11th grade. Um, but other than that, I couldn't really join sports or um, do clubs because I lived pretty far from the school and my sister was also going to school and it was just the three of us at home. So and just you working on like getting her driver's license and stuff. So um, I couldn't like get to school to do the clubs and stuff. So I didn't get to do that. And that was something that I really wished because I like to get involved. And similar to how it was in Zambia, everyone was just like in everything and we would participate and connect. And I felt like that had been a good thing for me. So when I came here, I was like, I want to I want to do that. I want to make up for the things that I didn't do. And I thought computer science club would be something that I would be interested in because it is my major and teaching people who um, don't know how to code. I would have liked it if someone would have done that for me, though I wouldn't say it's that deep because I did learn <laughs> um, in 10th, in 11th grade more so. 10th grade was more like the theoretical aspect. But yeah, so um, that's why I created the um, Intro to Computer Science and Coding Club with my professor because I wanted to not just teach other people who don't know how to code, but also like create a community for it. Because in computer science, to be able to thrive, you need to connect with other people. There's, especially working with code, sometimes you'd spend like three hours working on something and then realize there's a small mistake and somebody else might have been able to spot that. So you really need like um, each other to be able to do well in it. So I thought it would be great to have like that community and also just help people who are beginning as well. Yeah. Well, it's, would you say that the coding is like another language? Yeah, I would say it is. Um, and I feel like once you, they're different languages. I'm, um, I know Java, JavaScript, uh, C++, Python, and HTML. There are also other languages. Uh, but I feel like once you learn one language, it translates well into the other computer science languages, the other coding languages. So, for example, Python is very beginner friendly. I started with Java and I feel like it helped me understand like the class that I'm taking now. It's a lot easier than I feel like some people might experience it if they're just uh, getting into code. So I feel like learning one language just helps translate into the other languages, including Python. Learning Python will help you learn C++ or Java. So it's definitely a good baseline to start with Python, for example, because it's beginner friendly. Yeah. So it must be nice to be with other people that yeah. speak these languages. Yeah. Because <laughs> you guys can talk about ideas and create things yeah. together. And, yeah. And you can easily um, trans help each other learn different languages because they so easily translate into um, different languages across the languages in, in coding. Yeah. Are you guys looking for new members? Um, yeah, we are. And how would somebody find out about that? It's on the LCC page, so they can reach out to um, Professor Thamira or um, their posters around the Intro to Computer Science. Um, I'll probably hand out more <laughs> and I'll be at the club fair um, next semester. But yeah. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, what other classes are you taking here? I'm taking Calculus 1 and CSPS 230. And how did your experience at LCC match up with your expectations? Um, you've been to a lot of different schools. Yeah, I would say it matches up pretty well. I enjoy being here. I feel like it's somewhere where um, I've been able to 
learn my weaknesses and tap into my strengths. And there is a lot I need to work on uh, with time management and getting into like the college mindset because it's very different learning a subject um, for two for a whole year and learning it in just one semester. So that's something I definitely need to work on. But being at OCC has been something I've definitely enjoyed. I don't enjoy the bus the bus rides because I live in Okemos and it's like an hour away so mm-hmm. whenever i wake up and i'm like i have class at 10 i know i have to wake up at like at least eight so that i can get ready and then i check the bus schedule sometimes it comes too early sometimes it comes too late so that hasn't been enjoyable but other than that um i would say it's a pretty chill environment which is what i expected the class size is small which is kind of what i expected so yeah i'd say it has met my expectations is there anything that surprised you um to be honest no no i i didn't really have a lot of expectations to begin with but you know what maybe i would say time time i expected to have more time to do a lot of things i wanted to start um, another club as well with my sister she also goes here but I didn't have time for that and she also didn't have time for that so time is definitely a thing that mm-hmm. is yeah it's scarce <laughs> oh, that's the truth and I, I think um doesn't matter what where you are yeah. in the world <laughs> under stars or not under stars yeah time is always as an issue I'm wondering if somebody was thinking about Coming here to LCC, what would you suggest they do to get comfortable, to get prepared? For one, I started, um, I missed two classes of each of my classes that I signed up for because I signed up late because I had initially enrolled um, at MSU. So it was just like a last minute thing I was trying to rush. So I would say definitely be prepared and plan early and then know the classes that you're taking go on rate my professor do all of that stuff make sure you're in classes that you are going to be comfortable in if you need to take the placement test take that check all the requirements make sure you're all set and then i would say study ahead for the classes and like start doing work early and don't wait because you're definitely going to be backed up and once you like fall behind once it might be very hard to catch up. It kind of just keeps on going and you might never be able to like really catch up. So it's best to like start early and get into the classes, get into the mindset and start doing the work early. That makes good sense. Yeah. Um, especially planning ahead and putting thought into, you know, what you're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. Did you work with a success coach or anyone in advising or did you you know, sort that out on your own? Uh, I had to sort it out on my own. <laughs> I enrolled in classes at MSU and I kind of just wanted to transfer that schedule here. At first, um, I had enrolled, I had tried to enroll in calculus, but then I wasn't able to because they said that I need to either take, um, they said that my placement score, I think I was like at a seven, level seven. And they said I need to be at level nine to get into calculus because I hadn't taken pre-calculus. So, and I had taken the placement score at MSU and I had gotten into calculus. So that was frustrating. And I mm-hmm. tried to call my advisor and she's just like, maybe you should take pre-calculus, which is not a bad thing to advise. That makes sense. So um, I had to take the placement test and that I was able to get into the class. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to Wait, anyone, me, anyone I, who has tried to register, question. no, anyone who's tried to register for any classes anywhere knows that that's the way it is. There's yeah. so many decisions to make and a lot of them end up being made all at once at the last minute. Yeah. And you feel like you're scrambling backwards to yeah. figure out what you should have already known. Yeah. And I actually now I'm remembering your question. <laughs> I tried to reach out to like an academic advisor, but, uh, it wasn't very helpful, I think, because I knew what I wanted to take. So mm-hmm. I just went ahead and did that. Mm-hmm. And even for the next coming semester, I just went ahead and like picked the classes that I knew I needed to take because mm-hmm. I plan on transferring in a year. Yeah. So I think it, it could be really reassuring for someone who's listening to know that that scrambling that happens at the last yeah. minute is a normal part of the process. And you can sort it out. It's just a lot all at once. Yeah. And it feels like each decision is so important and while it is it's you know it's just a decision yeah <laughs> in the end yeah, what are you so taking next semester uh i'm taking uh calculus 2 i'm taking uh cpsc 231 i'm taking physics with calculus and i'm taking gen- um, general chem- chemistry yeah and the the lab with the general chemistry okay. uh, yeah I'm hoping for the best because it's definitely I'm, I was taking three classes this semester and what it was it wasn't that hard to manage the classes but I would say I definitely struggled with like keeping time and having to commute from home to school and also like I don't have a car so I can't just I can't go to the library for example in Okemos, um I would have to wait for the bus or see the bus schedule if it's even going to pass there so I have to do my work mostly at home and that is not a great idea because there isn't a lot of um, rooms for me to study in. Um, my little brother's usually playing games. My sister's doing her own things. So it's definitely hard to study at home. I feel like if I was on a campus, it would definitely be a bit better. Yeah. So studying for these classes that I'm going to have this coming semester, especially since I know they're going to be hard, I'm just hoping for the best. I'm hoping that during this coming break, I can build those habits that can help me succeed. Because if not, yeah, I I can just hope for the best. (laughs) I have faith in you. Thank you. So the courses that you selected, those are ones that you will transfer? Yeah, those are the ones that I need to transfer in a year. Okay. Yeah. That sounds, that will keep you busy. Yeah, they will. (laughs) I'll start studying as soon as like I'm done with this semester. I need to just get into studying right away. Okay. Well, um, speaking of about when you're done, what are you looking forward to doing in between the two semesters? Um, what I'm looking forward to doing is definitely resting. And I, I'm hoping to get my license and start driving as soon as I can, because that would definitely make it a lot easier. And I'm hoping to enjoy Christmas. Yeah. And also, I work at Macy's, so I'll probably get more hours. And I look forward to making the money and just enjoying my break. That sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for coming in today. Yeah, thank you. And what are you looking forward to doing over the break? Reading. Mm. (laughs) Just sitting on the couch reading. I have a little stack of books that I've been wanting to get back to that I was reading during the summer. Mm. And um, I'll be doing that and hopefully hanging out with my mom, which is always a good time. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to our talented poets and authors. Until next time, this has been Washington Square On Air. Where we showcase selections from Lansing Community College's literary journal, The Washington Square Review, a publication featuring writers in the Great Lakes State, 
across the nation and around the world. To find out more about the Washington Square Review, visit lcc.edu slash WSR. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed sharing. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.